Welcome to Brown Blasts, the digital programming initiative of the Brown Women's Leadership Council. Brown Blasts features great wisdom on meaningful issues from Brown women, all in a short, digestible format. Do be sure to check out our first offering, an interview with acclaimed Brown professor Trisha Rose on race, privilege, and what we need to move towards equality in America. We'll link to that interview in the podcast show notes. Today, we are thrilled to feature an interview with Brown alumna Malika Chopra. Malika is a mom, media entrepreneur, speaker, and author. Her books include the recently released Just Breathe, which is on meditation and mindfulness for kids ages 8 to 12, and Living with Intent, My Somewhat Messy Journey to Purpose, Peace, and Joy. Malika's writing and work have been featured in many publications, including Self Magazine, Women's Health, Prevention Magazine, OWN, Glamour, Oprah.com, The LA Times, and more. Today, she shares with us her wisdom on saying no, parenting mindfully, handling guilt, the power of meditation, and much more. There's a little bit of something for most everyone here. Do enjoy. So first things first, would love to get the most important question out, which is, uh, Malika, what was your favorite food at the Ratty? So when I saw that question, I panicked a little bit because I don't really remember. I think those days I was very much a pizza and pasta person. Um, now living in Santa Monica, you know, I have a very different lifestyle. But my guess is it would have just been to eat what we could get through with <laughs> at the time. Well, that would make two of us. You were in good company. Uh, so diving into your most recent book, Just Breathe, one of the things I was struck by is it's a really powerful antidote to the tyranny of busy in our world. Yet, I don't know that any of us aspire to lives of busyness. I think we aspire to lives of meaning. And so I'd love your thoughts on how can we choose a meaningful life over a busy one? So Just Breathe is, I think, my fourth book book and it's the first book I've written which is for children and I'm a mom with two girls they're 16 and 14 and what I've realized is you know I've gone through my own struggles to find balance to find some sense of well-being in my life to find some sense of purpose and it's been as I the subtitle of my last book was my somewhat messy journey to purpose peace and joy as a parent, what I've seen is that our kids earlier and earlier now um, are bombarded with so much stimulation and a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And it was just really, uh, honestly, important for me to start really giving kids these tools that I've discovered throughout a lifetime um, and hoping that, you know, the earlier they can be in charge and empowered by making choices, being able to re regulate emotions, focus. I think it will be a tool that serves them well for a lifelong journey where, uh, yes, we seek wellness, well-being, happiness, but often um, that seems uh, far away for many people. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I love that Just Breathe um, 
is is for children and so can sort of start those practices and those habits and those mind frames at a much younger age as opposed to you know for me feeling like I'm I'm coming into a lot of these practices and having to undo some old habits that have contributed to my sense of busyness but not so much to my sense of meaning or purpose or fulfillment but related to that I think I think for a lot of us adults and kids alike there's a powerful and very pervasive feeling of not enough, that we aren't enough. And I feel like there were some themes that you hit on with Just Breathe related to that. And so I'd love any insights you have on what are ways that we can remind ourselves, both as adults and as children, that we are more than enough or that we are enough. It's a great question. So the book focuses initially on meditation and mindfulness. But for me, as someone who's really lived a life that holistically looks at mind, body, spirit, it was really important to really think about the social and emotional sides as well. So there are a lot of motivational or psychological exercises in this book. Um, Everything from how we speak and use our words and our internal dialogue, how that affects our external reality and affirming exactly as you said that we are enough. So that comes through dialogue and through some of the exercises in the book, but ultimately that is where meditation is such a powerful practice because experientially when we meditate, uh, we connect with our inner selves that's beyond all of the self-criticism, the distractions in the environment, the critiques we're getting from other people. We connect with a quiet place inside ourselves. And that's when we know experientially, not intellectually, but experientially that we are enough. That's that, as I call it, that safe, happy place inside of us, that if we can access that more and more in our life and carry it with us, We generally can approach life with more confidence and security. And again, as kids, if they can access that earlier on, hopefully it will help with many of the anxieties and stresses and comparisons and social media insecurities that they experience. So for folks who might be listening who are new to meditation, is there, and the book is filled with wonderful, both short and slightly longer meditations. Is there any one particular meditation maybe you could walk us through that's a good sort of point of entry for someone who's new to a practice? Absolutely. So the interesting feedback I'm getting on this book is it was written for 8 to 12 year olds, but so many adults are telling me that it's the easiest book on meditation that they've read. Mm, And I, I think that's because Generally, we try to intellectualize these techniques and go back to what you were saying that it's not enough. We're not doing it enough. We're not doing it regularly enough for enough time. And so my goal with this book was to really present one to two minute, at most five minute exercises that are quick tastes of these experiences. And even if you do them for just one minute or two minutes, one will feel the effects. So it really is as simple as just breathing. So the most practical exercise that anyone can do anytime is to just take a deep breath. So it's to really stop, 
take a deep breath in and often it's helpful to count to three inside your head so you know let's do that right now take a deep breath in pause for a second and now breathe out and taking three breaths even if it's one breath but say taking three breaths which maybe takes 30 seconds people often find that it just helps anchor them so one of the exercises that's often helpful for adults even is what we call stop so s-t-o-p s is for stop stop whatever you're doing stop you know if you're in a stressful situation or a reactive situation take a moment stop t is for take a deep breath so again as we just did take that breath deep breath in and out and now let's add o which is observe what's happening in your body so doing kind of a quick body scan which often will indicate you know some stress or um, some physical feeling that's a manifestation of that reaction and then p is for proceed so really with kids we can start with just the breathing um, and then in life in different situations if we expand it to the stop exercise often that just really is a great beginning to really become more conscious of our breath and how it affects our reactions and our state of being I love that you chose that particular practice because I did it in line at the grocery store the other day when I was feeling Oh, I think irritable would be an accurate word. I'm not particularly compassionate towards myself or others. Um, and like you said, yeah, it took less than 30 seconds. And it really sort of like got me right back into my body and able to act from a place that was a little bit more heartfelt and a little bit less irritable. So testifying from personal experience that stop practice is powerful. Excellent. Well, you know, I think one of the themes that's come up um, a little bit in Just Breathe, but also in some of your, your other writings, and also from your own, I think you've written about this from your own experience, is the importance of asking for help. But I think for a lot of us, adults and kids alike, we can feel like we are inadequate if we're asking for help, like we should know how to do this. So for those of us for whom that asking is hard, do you have any suggestions for how we can make it easier? easier for us to reach out and ask for help and the support that we need. Absolutely. So my last book was called Living with Intent, My Somewhat Messy Journey to Purpose, Peace and Joy. And mm. I wrote it at a time in my life, and I know this is for um, women at Brown. I wrote this at a time in my life where my kids were about 10 and 12 years old. Our schedules were crazy with their uh, extracurricular activities. My business was busy. My husband was traveling. And I really was feeling completely stressed and overwhelmed in my life, even though I had so many of these techniques, the meditation and other techniques that I talk about in this book and others. And one of the big insights in the journey that I outline uh, in that book is this feeling that I think many women have, which is we need to do it all. We need to be able to take care of our kids, of our parents, of our communities, 
get involved, volunteer, do our jobs perfectly, and we sacrifice taking care of ourselves. So that was one aspect of this discovery. But another part was to say no. I realized that I spend a lot of time saying yes, trying to please everyone else and often do things that I don't really need to do. And then the third is asking for help. And that is often something very difficult to do. But we all are vulnerable at times. And even when we're not vulnerable, asking for help is really empowering because you connect with others. You see that other people want to help and connect with you. And you start to create community, develop deeper relationships. And so there's a lot of love and beauty that comes from asking help. And that I think I realized as a mom as a friend, as a daughter, I had so many people I could ask help from, uh, from others. And the way it affects our children is that when our children see that we as parents or teachers or caregivers are allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, are allowing ourselves to ask for help, they start to realize that that's okay and people want to help each other and that they also can help others and that's a great feeling. Absolutely. So you surface something that I think is so significant, um, certainly for myself, and I have no doubt for for plenty of other women in the Brown community, which is uh, alongside asking for help, being able to say no. And do you have any insights on ways that we can strengthen that no muscle in ourselves? You would not believe how difficult I realized it is to say no. Uh, (laughs) And it's what I realized in the process is that most of the time, it really was an egotistical uh, action, ego-based action, rather than really helping or doing something in the community. So a really mundane example is hot lunch at school. So, you know, at my kids' school, parents go in and they serve hot lunch to the kids. And it's a volunteer position. And, you know, you go several times, uh, you know, maybe once a month. And to fit that in my schedule created so much stress and anxiety for me. But I felt guilty that I didn't do it enough. And so this is another issue we can talk about, but is guilt. Um, And so that was something I really struggled with. And then I really had this insight, you know what, I'm going to just say no to serving hot lunch. And it seems like a mundane thing. But when I said no, I realized that nobody really cared. It was only my ego, you know, I was thinking that, that I was offering something that was, you know, so helpful, but nobody really cared. My kids weren't having hot lunch in any case. Um, and so, you know, I could spend my time doing other things that were of more value for our family and for my work and just that made me happier. So, you know, over time, as we start to really filter down what brings value, what makes us happy, um, you know, with ourselves, our, our community, our relationships, we can really assess what really matters and then be able to say no to the things that perhaps we're doing more out of self-importance. 
Oh, goodness. Yes. And I love how I remember reading once somewhere, Malika, that saying no to something means saying yes to something else. And so being able to say no to hot lunch and yes to more quality time with the family or whatever form it takes, which sort of helps me sort of shift some of that. Oh, but I need to while the other moms are doing it to purposes of full disclosure, I'm not a parent, but in just using that example. So shifting it away from the sort of guilt driven towards the, well, I'm saying no to this so I can say yes to one of my other priorities. Exactly. And that's, a, it's a mundane example, but it actually, um, the more that we kind of can even actually take the mundane things in our life that maybe we're doing um, without fully being present or fully being involved or happy doing them, uh, you know, beginning with those no's makes the other ones, the bigger ones, easier because we're better at assessing um, where we're actually adding value. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, it's like no strength training. Like we don't need to start off with the biggest no ever there was, but like, yeah, yeah, I love that. in those little mundane moments for sure. So I did want to circle back to something that you raised before, since we're, we're hitting the high notes of no and not enough. Let's go right to guilt. Um, Cause I think it's so present in so many of our lives and drives so many decisions, be it saying yes to things that we don't really want to because we think we will feel guilty if we don't. So how have you kind of come to be with guilt and how do you think about it and handle it these days? So almost every woman I know is dealing with some sort of guilt and I I just feel it's very much ingrained in our um, culture. And I think what I've tried to do is really, it's been a process which is to really do the self work to think about who am I, what do I want, how can I serve. And I have many exercises for that which are in both Just Breathe and Living with Intent. But to really anchor myself in that place of intention so that when I am doing something, I am doing it fully present and mindful of why I'm doing it. And then recognizing that I can't do everything. You know, I'm not a big believer that we can have it all, all the time, but that over time we can lead more of a holistic life. And so for me, it's really been making empowered choices about the place I'm in, the age and the time that I'm in, where my family is at, where my work is at, and then making these empowered choices and recognizing that I'm making those choices. So for the things I can't do, I still kind of share the love and the intention, but I can't do it right now. And I feel that in that way, at least with what I'm doing, I'm being more present and more mindful and actually serving from a more authentic place than trying to do too many things. So I would say uh, there's no way that I still don't deal with guilt. You know, we always have, you know, for many people, I'm sure they experience this where, you know, when you're working, you're guilty that you're not at home. And when you're home, you're guilty that you're not working or you're just guilty all the time about something or the other. Um, And so for me, it's really been about being present with what I'm doing and feeling empowered in the choice that I've made to do that. 
which I love. And it's also incredible, Malika, how radical that is in this day and age, because there's so much around us that reinforces not being in the present. Even for kids, that whole concept of coming of age, you know, that what you will be is somehow more important than what you are right now. Or I, you know, when people get a new job, oftentimes one of the first questions folks ask is, so what are you thinking about next? So we do have this sort of future focus. And then often, you know, maybe it's shame about the past or other sort of discomfort with the past. So there is so much that consistently takes us away from the present. But I love that kind of like returning to the present into ourselves in the present as an antidote to guilt and sort of a way of like accessing what matters to us and what our value is. I love how you said it, how we can serve in this moment. Thinking about this moment, uh, we are at a, a time right now where there are so many different perspectives in sort of both the political and social and cultural environment that really seem to be at odds with each other. And it really seems tricky to find a path forward or, or not necessarily reconcile, but a place where kind of genuine um, interest or understanding across these different perspectives can be found. And you tell two wonderful stories in Just Breathe about different perspectives and how we can sort of be with them. So I was hoping you could tell both the elephant story and the glass half full story, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So the glass half full is a very easy one because, you know, I'm sure most people listening to this have heard, uh, you know, of looking at a glass that has water in it and thinking, is it half full or half empty and how that shapes our perspective on the world. And so the small little exercise I have in the book with Just Breathe is to think of the glass as full. It's half full of water and half full of air. And that's enough, going back to what you were saying. That's enough and that's what it is. So the glass is always full. And then the elephant story is actually a very uh, traditional one. I think it comes from the Buddhist tradition, which is about these wise men um, who are blind and are asked by a king to come and experience an elephant. And now these were wise men who had heard about the majesty of elephants. And um, they argued and argued for months and months and months about what an elephant was like, um, saying, you know, it's a grand creature. It can go through forests. It can carry the princess. It, you know, is grand. But when they actually met the elephant um, and experienced the elephant because they were blind, they all were given a different part of the elephant to feel. So one felt uh, the legs of the elephant and proclaimed that, you know, this elephant uh, is like a strong tree. Another felt the ears and the flap of the ears and said, no, you know, the elephant is actually like a fan. Another felt the elephant's tail and insisted and fought that it was like a rope. Another felt the trunk and said, you know, it's like a strong snake. And so they argued and argued about this um, until the king was able to guide them into really experiencing the elephant as a whole. And I think it comes back, you know, we are living in times where it is so difficult to understand sometimes someone else's perspective. It really feels like we're living on different planets. And one of the things I've just realized over time is you really can't often convince someone else um, of your point of view without really creating a sense of experience and connection. And so um, hopefully, again, if we 
approach life with that perspective. We can deal with some of these really difficult situations from a place of empathy, of understanding that we each approach our own situation with that conviction that the other person is too. Yeah, very much so. It's a beautiful wish for ourselves and the world. So at heart, a lot of Just Breathe is about making decisions out of a better part of ourselves than our fear. And in our weaker, more tired or grumpy moments, how can we access that better part of ourselves so we can decide courageously rather than fearfully, both sort of in the the mundane, very ordinary moments, but also too in those larger inflection points? So when we react to situations, most often we react in a fight or flight response. So, you know, it is a very reactive situation that is using more of the primitive parts of our brain. So when we incorporate meditation and mindfulness exercises, they can be very effective, one, in the moment of making more thoughtful, mindful reactions to situations than being impetuous and just reactive, where often we're not approaching a situation in the best way. But meditation and mindfulness really starts to change one's um, physical, emotional, and social interaction with the world. It's almost like a path. In the beginning, it's full of shrubs and trees, and there is no path there. And the more that you kind of walk down that path and clear a way through, um, it becomes easier to do, and it just becomes more natural. So that's why these exercises, and there's so many different ways to incorporate um, these more mindful exercises in our life they really have an effect in our overall life and they start to stay with us more and more so I used to always joke that the sages who were meditating in caves uh, whether it be in the Himalayas or in places like Israel or you know Christian traditions or Buddhist traditions weren't that stressed out they weren't meditating um, you know to deal with stress management like we do today they were really using meditation as a means to discover themselves discover the world discover the universe of course now i have to evolve that a bit because we had the young boys the soccer players in thailand who were taught how to meditate in a cave for stress management but i think that's the point um, of these exercises they can help in the immediate situations where we do have to regulate our emotions and our body to react to situations better but they also bring a sense of peace of quiet of anchoring of inner knowingness that we can carry with us all the time um, to really approach life in a more holistic way in a way that's more aligned with our values that's more aligned with what may be best physically emotionally for us and our community absolutely so we just have a, a few short and sweet questions to wrap up. I imagine, Malika, you're on the road a lot for this book. So what's your tra- favorite uh, travel food these days? I have realized living in California that we get so spoiled with 
just amazing food and fresh food so i am a little bit more careful now you know i drink a lot of water when i'm traveling i try to eat light but honestly if i'm in a city that has a great indian restaurant i <laughs> i have to go <laughs> so <laughs> i need my chicken curry and naan <laughs> going back to your brown days did you have a favorite acapella group when you were at brown you know, I I didn't, but I actually just took my daughter to Brown, and there was this group. Um, it was actually all men, um, and they were singing, and it was so great. And one of my friends was one of those groups a long, long time ago. So um, it was just so, you know, there's just so much nostalgia when you go back. I I feel like I have such a bad memory, but then when I was back recently, it's again the emotions that come back and that happiness that was you know, so innocent and sweet. Well, we'll we'll do some research and find out which which all-male acapella group it was. They were great. So I know the name of this book is called Just Breathe, but I would love to know, Malika, the last thing that took your breath away. And anything counts. It could be a movie, a moment with your kids, a beautiful sunset. You know, my kids truly do take my breath away. So my daughter just returned from... Uh, trip with the New York Times. She's um, uh, going to be a junior in high school. So she took a trip to Israel and Jordan. Uh, and she came back and was telling us about her experience in Hebron, which, you know, was very emotionally um, difficult to be in. And as my daughter was talking, you know, my 16-year-old daughter, who's my baby, um, was talking about her experience and just processing it. And my breath really was taken away because I saw our future has to be hopeful. And it's this generation, like my, you know, my kids that I can see and that really want to give back and do something. Um, and, you know, it was a difficult situation, but one in which she felt so passionate about and I felt so proud. And that really did take my breath away. Oh, that's beautiful. Just beautiful. So the final question I have for you is, is there a question nobody asks you that you wish they would? I think I ask a lot of questions. So when I am leading meditations, I ask questions like, who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? And what am I grateful for? And it is interesting that, um, yeah, people don't ask that back. <laughs> and I think uh, that's actually kind of beautiful because my goal in asking those questions is for people to really experience the answers. And um, since I'm able to ask it a lot, I kind of do that self-exploration on a daily basis as well. Mm. Oh, so again, can you say those questions just one last time? Who am I? What do I want? How can I serve? And what am I grateful for? Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I will say, Malika, one of the things that I am grateful for is getting to spend some time with you today for the Brown Women's Leadership Council. This has just been an incredible, incredible privilege. Thank you. And I'm so thrilled to just be reconnecting with the Brown community. Recently, we went to visit. I did an event, a meditation um, for alumni in LA, which we had so many people for. You know, there's just such magic that comes with this community. 
and um, my closest friends still are my brown friends and we meet every year all over the world and I'm just so grateful for that experience.